And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, December 6th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We have a lot to talk about, even though the lockout rages on. We're closing in on the first week of the great lockout of 2021, but we are going to talk about a huge story that broke last week. We teased this on the pod last Wednesday. Bradford William Davis had a story at Business Insider about massive differences in the baseballs used throughout the 2021 season, so we'll talk about the implications of that. Going to dig into some related home run rate surprises and figure out what to do with those players going forward. Eno's got an ISO barrel rate concoction to pass along, so we're going to look into that and try and figure out if there's make it a, sound like a weird source sandwich. of value there. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to do. I wanted to make it sound like either a sandwich or a nice uh, adult beverage, so I feel like I successfully did that. And we've got a few more early draft observations as well. Uh, Eno's been doing an auto new mock. I had the XFL auction over the weekend, not the old football league run by Vince McMahon, but a long-standing Keeper League that was created by Ron Chandler about 20 or so years ago now. So that actually happened on Saturday. We'll talk about some stuff that came from that and the other early drafts that we've done as well. But I think we do need to start with the baseball because Craig Calcaterra, as he tweeted this morning, pointed this out. This is a bigger story than than the amount of attention it's received so far. And I think this is interesting because we've talked about the ball I think almost as long as this podcast has existed, right? We've started the show back in the spring of 2019, and the baseball has been... That was the peak home run year with the craziest baseball. Yeah, the baseball's been under the microscope that entire time. Dr. Meredith Wills has been slicing open baseballs for that period of time, plus a few years prior to that. Uh, It it was her findings that were a big part of the story that, that Bradford wrote. This is different, though, because what what was reported here is that there's not a this isn't just random variation in production. These are separate batches of baseballs with heavier and lighter cores. And the concerning thing is that the core was supposed to be changed. And yet the timestamps on the ball, the manufacturing stamps on the ball prove that the changes didn't actually happen the way they were supposed to happen. So that leads to. A lot of questions. Plenty of people quoted in the story and around the game are saying, "Well, what the hell? Like, it could could Major League Baseball have been sending baseballs to specific places for specific reasons?" There's currently no evidence of that, but it's just opened the floodgates for even greater mistrust between the players' association and the league. Given that, you know, as we've said on the show before, the league has a major stake in Rawlings. They they have more control over this process than they've ever had before, and yet here we are with further evidence that 
there are some massive problems with the consistency of the ball. Yeah, and the league tried to kind of throw Rawlings under the bus again. It's uh, kind of what they do. <laughs> um, you know, they with the when we found out that there was a new ball uh, that that they were going to change that core, uh, they said, "Oh, you know, Rawlings was going to." you know, put those out there. We said, no, we got to hold on to those and test those for a year. You know, that was the whole idea that they were going to test these new balls and they weren't going to use them right away. And then in 20, in 2021, they were supposed to use them. Uh, but instead, instead they used some old ones too. They threw Rollings on the bus and basically said, uh, because of COVID, they couldn't, they didn't have a full uh, factory because they couldn't do full production. Um, we, uh, we sent some old balls out there. Now, uh, you know, we all had to figure stuff out during COVID, you know, we've, you know, supply chain issues are still out there. Uh, there's still a, an uneasy agreement between supply and demand is how I'd put it. Um, and large jumps in demand for certain things. I think that's part of why the production cycle has been arrest, like the sort of the relationship is 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 not at ease because you know uh, we went from wanting industrial work uh, toilet paper to wanting only home toilet paper, right? <laughs> and the problem wasn't that there weren't it wasn't enough toilet paper. It was that nobody wanted those big rings of toilet paper anymore because they weren't pooping at work anymore. So <laughs> that's why it's not like we pooped more during COVID. <laughs> you know? That would be weird. <laughs> I didn't expect you to choose anything else for your supply chain related, <laughs> like day to day product changes. But I like how your mind went there, and mine was was Clorox wipes because if you wanted bleach oh wipes, God, you know, you last year those, yeah. they were impossible to find for a while. And you know, we learned, oh well, actually the demand for them, of course, that was pretty obvious, was never this high because a lot of people were at work and yeah, cleaning supplies at work or cleaning crews at work took care of it. But in this case, in this case, it was a little bit more that I think this also is part of the supply chain crisis is that um, we're there's like a, a a different relationship between work. Uh, you know, people's people are sort of reevaluating their relationship between their home and life uh, balance and, and they're, what they're willing to do for work. Because I think at some point there was a question, am I willing to sort of put myself at risk health wise to 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 make money, right? There's like a lot of, there were a lot of jobs, a lot of service jobs now that are having a hard time getting filled because A, they pay like crap. And then B, you're on sort of on the front line of just like seeing people inside, you know, <laughs> during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in this case, they said they didn't have enough people at the factory uh, to hand sew these balls. And so they had to use old ones. It's, 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 uh, it's a great story. It's, pro- it might be true. The, the problem is that, uh, they haven't really been see-through about this from the beginning. Um, you know, I think all the way back to when Rob Manfred said, uh, that, you know, that the reason that home runs were up in 2015 was because they were putting, uh, power hitters at the top of lineups now. Um, and, uh, so, you know, kind of, this could go right into that where it's like, it sounds, uh, like an interesting, uh, story and it could be true. The, 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 the kind of missing piece of reporting as I see it is, um, this, uh, is union leadership, uh, basically saying whether or not they were told. Because we do in yeah, the, in Bradford yeah. story, which is great, uh, we do have uh, player reps who who didn't know, uh, but uh, maybe it was told to some union leadership and didn't get down to all the players, um, you know. So there's some question there of what happened there. Uh, if they did not tell the players, 
then I think it's uh, uh, it's a fairly big crisis. It's like a, a crisis of, of of confidence in the in the um, commissioner to do his job and to be you know to 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 be um, what's it called. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. I was like see through, but it's not see through. That'd be weird. Ding 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 ding. Uh, yeah, it's like being on a game show sometimes. <laughs> but the, being transparent, and if he's not going to be transparent, then he's going to fall into the bucket of the Japanese commissioner that changed the ball without telling anybody, and then had to resign. Uh, so I never knew about that until I read this story. So I, that was among the things I, I learned here. I, I didn't realize there was that much of a, a scandal in japan with baseballs previously that cost the commissioner his job now i don't think we'll be that lucky here if i had to if i had to guess um as you might but i this does have potential i think that's the other thing that's really interesting about this this does have potential impacts on the cba talks uh and on the honor on the ownership side you know you're looking at your guy and you're saying did you send me the dead balls manfred you know, there's a little, there's a story out there that someone did some research and was like, the Yankees got sent some dead balls, they think. It's like, you know, I don't want to vouch for that story and, and say that's necessarily true, but that's the type of thinking that it, like, that could lead to a little bit of like, hey, Manfred, what you, why'd you send me the dead balls? Right. Yeah. If, if it is oh, found. Oh, you hate the Yankees, huh? If it is found that specific batches were sent to specific teams and specific series even for a, a reason, like that's. That's, I mean, this is a problem and regardless. That's the, that's the major sort of question mark on top of all this. And mm-hmm. and also, I think, you know, if people are frustrated that there's no, um, that there's no uh, counter, that there's no um, follow-up coverage yet. I mean, partially follow-up coverage takes a while. You know, you're supposed to, if you're reporting on a story, like have something new to, to advance it, right? In, in terms of writing a story. Now, if you're going to aggregate it, then of course you can you can write about it, but uh, I think people are looking at this and trying to find the way to advance the story, um, as opposed to uh, like the athletic is never going to just be like, you know, here's the story from Bradford, as, as amazing as it is, you know, like if you're not going to advance it, then you're you got to you you you're not going to really write about it. So I, that would that's just the my perspective on this that I'm looking for a way to advance the story to to write about this further, but. You know, Meredith and Radford did a really good job, and it's a. I think it is a, a really interesting. So to me, the the two aspects that are the most interesting are you know whether the union knew about it, what this means for the labor negotiations, uh, and so on. And I think it leads to questions and then for, player questions, yeah, yeah, for for us, like in terms of what happened to these guys, you know, whose performances were perhaps uh, you know most impacted by the highly variable baseballs that were in play. And I think there's a few ways to go about this. The home run rate is really noisy year to year anyway. I think it is becoming... For pitchers. Yeah, for pitchers, it's become a lot less important in how I look Actually, at a profile. Actually, pitchers too. That's why we have barrels, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just think it's one of these. It's one of those stats that used to be, like when 10-ish years ago when I was looking at a pitcher, it was, it was K rate, walk rate, home run rate. And that was kind of, for me, a complete portrait of a pitcher. And I think the weight of home run rate, if I were still only using those three things right now, is a lot less now than it was back when I started. That being said, it shouldn't be dismissed completely. So my thinking was, well, let's just see who are who are some of the biggest year-to-year changers 
risers and fallers in home run rate. And we can dig into this. And the the hardest thing about this type of year-to-year analysis, of course, is coming off a 60-game season in 2020, there was more noise than ever just because we didn't get a full season's worth of innings from everybody. So you're going to have guys that were surprisingly good or surprisingly bad in 2020 who regressed back to their norm or closer to their norm in 2021. So those are going to be some of the players you Dylan see Bundy. popping up. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> Dylan Bundy popped up. But, you know, I I, I ran the, the Fangraphs leaderboard on this. We've talked about this page, the season stat grid, year-to-year changes. I just set it from 2017 to 2021, popped in 20 innings pitch just to knock out a few of the guys that only threw a handful of innings. One of the first names that stood out to me is Adbert Alzale. And I like him anyway, like regardless of what's going on with his home run, right? Just because there's a clear opportunity for him. Uh, he's shown improved control. That was the major skills gain for him, I think, compared to what he was doing you know, in the upper levels of the minor leagues and even in his first couple tastes of Chicago. Big step forward from Alzale in 2021. A 1.79 homers per nine. Like that's a massive jump from where he was in the shortened season. And again... You go back and look at his minor league numbers. Didn't really have home run issues until 2019 at AAA. And if you've listened to this show for a little while, you know that 2019 at AAA, home runs hit there. Total disaster. Total chaos, right? They were using... They were using the Major League Ball. They were using the Rabbit Ball (laughs) and the PCL, which Iowa, the Cubs affiliate, is a part of, even though it's not, you know, it's not Albuquerque. It's not one of the extreme hitter environments. The whole league league was a mess for home runs. There were hitters that had amazing seasons who actually weren't that amazing. And there were pitchers who got smashed that actually weren't that bad. And I think looking at the bigger picture, I'm not convinced that the home run issues we saw from Alzale in 2021 are necessarily a reflection of his typical home run rate baseline. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, a couple other things going on with Ausley, which is that uh, he added a cutter uh, in the late in the second half. Um, and, um, you know, if you look at when he added the cutter and you look at stuff and location, you see, oh my gosh, he had a 106 uh, stuff plus from the time he added the cutter. The only uh, the only word of caution I have there is that he also kind of went to like a multiple inning bullpen role at that point, um, and those two things are going to conflate your numbers a little bit uh, because everyone's stuff looks better in two inning stints. Um, but I would say that I think this is a guy who has above average stuff. I don't know if I'll go all the way to 106. I think this is a guy who has above average stuff, improved his command, and with now the cutter slider curve i think he's just going to be a three breaking ball guy he's shown the ability to spin it he's always had strikeouts at every level and those home runs that we've seen kind of go up and down have a have a little bit of a story to them in terms of you know the amount of sample uh you know his first real full year in the big leagues you know the rabbit ball in in 2019 so um i i think he's he's a really intriguing uh arm i don't I don't know how far to push this one. I don't know if I want to give like you know give him the the Eno stamp, and then all of a sudden people are taking him as the thirtieth best starting pitcher or whatever. Like the I don't know if I go all the way Urquidy levels deep into this one, uh, but uh, I just got him an auto new mock draft that I'm doing for two bucks, and I I put that kind of approval on him any day, any type of keeper situation. If you you know back end uh, starting pitching keeping, if you can acquire him. Um, 
you know, uh, just a generally an interesting arm. Draft and hold. I love him. Got him in my draft and hold in NFC. Um, and uh, and I would recommend as such for people. Yeah. Elzalei hasn't cracked the top 300 in a draft for the NFBC in the last two weeks or so. So if you're looking back through oh. any draft that's held since November 20th, it's only a dozen drafts. The earliest he's been picked is like 320. So... Let- let me see if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's possible it wasn't me. It's also not way off where he's been going overall. His range is fairly see. consistent. It's 326 I took him to 343. 343. Okay. So, yeah. I took him 343. The other pitchers near there, just to kind of paint a picture here, Nestor Cortez. I'm not sure about his role, even though what he did this season was, you know, good. Uh, Kyle Gibson. Yeah, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Not really interested in him. Uh, Taiwan Walker goes in that range. That seems reasonable. I think maybe you get more innings from Walker. It's going to be close. And Sixto Sanchez, uh, health permitting, Ooh. could be a nice bounce back candidate for sure in that same area. I think draft and hold is just, uh, it's a little difficult in draft and hold with the injuries. You're just, you're kind of trying to buy in, in innings. And so you, you can only take a shot on a couple guys with injuries, I feel like, you know? Mm hmm. Because you don't want to have that staff where like everyone's injured and you're and you're not you, you like don't have enough innings. So uh, the, a couple of interesting names in my draft that went after him was Eliezer Hernandez and Jameson Tyon. Um, I absolutely think they belong in that conversation, and maybe we should have taken Eliezer Hernandez ahead. Um, but uh, that's I stand on. I, I believe in in Alzale to that extent, and uh, we chose to take him over Eliezer. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Got a question for you about Michael Kopech, just because we're talking about guys that have been between the two roles, Alzale more time as a starter than Kopech in 2021, ended up being four starts for Kopech. It was his first game action in years. <laughs> Literally, the last time he pitched for the White Sox was 2018. So a three-year layoff, came back, pitched very well out of the pen. I know the Stuff Plus model loves Kopech. The home run rate we saw from him at the end of 2018, I mean, we're talking 14 and 30 innings, not really enough to, to read into that. It's so long ago. <laughs> so like 1.17 homers per nine as a reliever in 2021. If we threw out his 2018 debut, that'd be the highest home run rate that Kopech had anywhere as a pro. So mm. even still, the question I have for you with Kopech is, and with huge velocity like that, you wouldn't expect necessarily a home run rate. Probably. Yeah, he's, he leaned really heavily on the fastball and slider working in that mostly relief sort of role. They're going to give him a shot as a starter. Uh, he's pretty expensive compared to 
Alzale. I mean, Kopech's like a fringe top 150 guy. ADP in that same span is about 165. Do you think when you start adjusting for having to work deeper into games, he wins a spot in the rotation, do you think this stuff holds up? Because it wasn't just... like When you look at Kopech's past, he also had issues with walks, and that took a step in the right direction as a reliever as well, right? Just over three walks per nine, certainly not a problem there. I, I'm just trying to decide like how much... How much can we bank on Kopech being a legitimately good starter based on what we saw from him in that mostly relief role for the White Sox? Because I'm pretty excited about him looking at the core skills and seeing how much the stuff model likes him. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, we didn't get that many of his secondary pitches. Um, you know, so that is kind of an open question. And then this velo is going to, of course, uh, come down in multiple inning stretches. Um, but I do really like that. Um, it doesn't look like he has a big, big command problem. Um, and, uh, the stuff plus model, part of the reason why it likes him so much is because he did rely on the four seam and the, and the slider. However, it's interesting to me that the stuff plus model likes his four seam better than a slider. So I think that he'll be able to handle uh, a little loss in velocity. It really likes the movement of it. Uh, and the curveball is a 96 stuff plus 95 location pitch that ends up uh, scoring as an average pitch. So I think he's going to be four seam slider curveball uh, with only the occasional change up. Uh, and I think that's going to be the approach. And I think he'll still have a better stuff plus than Alzale. You know, Kopech last year had a 115 stuff plus, uh, and that's, he's just going to go down and Alzale is going to go up. Uh, but uh, I think he'll still he has enough space there for regression to to end up being a positive. I also see enough out of that curveball to like it and 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 give him three pitches. Yeah, if he's got three pitches consistently. Thinking about the AL Central, you're going to use him much more than you're going to bench him. I would say if he I ends mean, up in the rotation. My main question is just how many innings can we give him? Steamer says 145, but that's a, that strikes me a little bit like the sort of Giancarlo Stanton will get 650 plate appearances a projection, you know? Well, uh, I don't know. I, Kopech did 140 and two-thirds back in 2018. It's true. I mean, before okay. he get injured. Let's, let's, let's break it down this way. Let's say the curveball is inconsistent. He throws it enough to have three pitches, but it's inconsistent. And he's a pretty steady. He's five innings per start on average. Like if that's where you want to uh, go. Okay, 30 starts is 150 innings. Like that's so I don't know if I'd project him for 30, so maybe I'd go 26 or 28. And that yeah, it's 130 or 140. So I think that 145 you know, coming from I think it's the Fangraphs depth charts, that seems seems appropriate. And then it leads to a question, are you also comfortable drafting guys who are you're, you're who you're expecting 140 innings from? in that 150 range when you're passing up on guys that don't have those the workload concerns. Usually you're giving up ceiling to go for more innings. And, you know, names nearby, Ranger Suarez, Sonny Gray. Ooh, see, I'd take Gray just because I, I feel like the stuff was still really good and the innings are more of a lock. But I'd take him, Kopech, over Suarez any day. I'm not in on Suarez at all. Like, I'm... yeah. That that choice was super easy, but it, I bet you if you li- listed more pitchers around where Kopech's going, I could find other pitchers I would take. All right, I'll take that action. Le- Luis Garcia. Mm, yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. I think you're so. Garcia over Kopech. Okay. Yeah. Uh, going a little earlier, Stroman. Going Stroman over Kopech. I mean, innings. They yeah. probably have to. 
to go yeah. down the other way for a couple more names. Oh, Kershaw. I mean, I don't know what to do with I Kershaw. Think, right I take now. Kopech over Kershaw actually because I think they're both like the question is innings, not talent. I think the and question is innings. Kershaw right now is not even throwing. The, the question is innings, and the key difference for me is that the the Kershaw outcomes are are closer to including a possible zero. Like any, like any pitcher, any pitcher can blow out and get the zero. I think the worst case for scenario for Kopech is he's in the bullpen and he probably gives you pristine ratios. Yeah, I mean you're still a little salty about it if he's your tenth round pick, but you probably yeah. would hold on to him and say, yeah, I'll give it a few weeks and and try to make it. And through. draft and hold, he'd pr- he'd still pitch you some weeks, right? Mm-hmm. The other guys that are all clustered together, a couple older old guys. You got Adam Wainwright and Hinjin Ryu, and then you've also got Tanner Houck. And I think the Houck situation is pretty similar to Kopech too, because we're expecting a lot more innings, and we're wondering, will the innings be as good in the expanded role? Totally fair question yeah, to ask. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why I take like Sonny and Stroman over him, uh, but I would take Kopech over Hauk and Kershaw, you know, over the innings questions, right? So, yeah, this is that's. I think he belongs in that group, but my personal uh, the preferences would have some of the guys behind him ahead of him, and so on, so so forth. So it yeah. sounds like more likely than not you'd get someone else that you like in that range and someone else would end up with Kopech. That's I think so, but uh, I mean if I walked away with Sonny Gray and so, and someone took uh, Kopech in that same round, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't bat an eye. All right. It's fair. Uh going back to the year over year changes to home run rate. Oh yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. Well, hey, we were talking about home run rate a lot. Well, the Bundy way. strikes me as a, a very interesting one because Bundy sort of went back to where he'd been. You know, he'd always had home run issues and then they went away in for a season in 2020, had a really good season and then they came back. So I think there's just as much a possibility that Dylan Bundy just had one great season as there is that he's going to be better going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that he he could give them is 160 or 170 innings affordably. Like that's the the main thing they're probably looking for. I, I'm not expecting it to be a, a great turnaround, but I think it is. We talked about it a little bit on Friday. I think this is a good test for the Twins pitching. Like we have kind of said, hey, it looked like they had a few pieces in place to take guys like this and make them pop. And last year was a kind of a step back. This might be one of the pitchers that that group is largely judged on, the success of of Dylan Bundy and trying to turn him back around and maybe split the difference, right? If you get him down to like a 1.3 home run rate, you can live with that if the walk rate comes back down. He has to have one of those things get mm-hmm. better if he's going to be consistently effective uh, in Minnesota. There's a bit of a strange story told on his stuff page um, because I, I can't port it over to Brooks Baseball and tell you exactly what's going on, but uh, Bundy, uh, his slider has added more drop over the last two years, basically. But if you uh, look at how much drop he's added and then you look at the stuff chart for uh, you know his slider, uh, his slider has just lost stuff consistently since the beginning of 2020 as it's been adding drop. So for some reason, in this case, the model does not like the fact that he's adding drop to his slider. And I think maybe because it's becoming more like his curve and maybe they're becoming more similar. But uh, there's something needs to happen with that 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 slider. I think maybe throwing it harder with a little bit less drop, uh, more like a cutter. Remember, Bundy was the whole thing where he was, you know, drafted as having this great cutter, 
And then um, the Orioles were like, it's not a cutter because we don't like cutters. Remember that? Yes, that was uh, a lifetime ago almost, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the thing that happened. So if he could maybe think cutter a little bit, uh, maybe that'll work for him. The uh, I, I don't I think that you know Bundy's somebody that I would probably have in that sort of hundred to hundred and twenty five range. Where you know I take some shots in deeper leagues, maybe if if they drop. But uh, you know, no way I'm putting him in my top one hundred. Yeah, think. I had him at. Alzale will be in my top. Bundy's 100. at one thirty four, easily the lowest of the pitchers we've talked about so far not ADP 134 starting pitcher ranking currently as uh, those continue to grind along in the background Uh, you Darvish actually has a similar home run rate fluctuation to Bundy that's not to say that they are any in any other way the same Uh, but I think what it is for me is it's it's a reminder that Darvish has always had trouble with home runs and a big part of it for a while you know the old ballpark in Arlington that was part of it But even during his time with the Cubs, I mean, that's a pitcher-friendly environment. He had major home run issues there. And he can have success with that because the strikeout rate's as good as it is and the walk rate's been great. Uh, I I thought Darvish was pretty consistently undervalued in some of the early drafts that I've seen. I'm wondering if maybe I'm a little too aggressive on that given the longer-term track record. Like Even in pitcher-friendly environments, he's had issues keeping the ball in the park. So I'm curious, uh, where do you fall on Darvish as a possible you know, early pitching bounce back candidate? This is a guy that was going in the what, second round of 2021 drafts who's probably going to fall outside the top 75 overall more often than not here in 2022. We went sale Darvish in our draft and hold. Uh, but that was because, as you can probably tell from the names, we went light on starting pitching in the in the very early rounds. We went heavy hitting, uh, ended up with like Trout and Betts in our first two picks, right? Um, so Darvish, we got in the fifth at 73. So you're about right about where he, he stands. You know, we, we debated him or Musgrove, who went 77. Uh, that was the debate for us in terms of veteran starting pitcher. Uh, we might have taken uh, Berrios, who went at 69, if he had dropped to us. Uh, so that was the conversation we were having. We thought it was a little bit early for the super young, like Alec Manoa, uh, who went 75 right after us. So we did discuss him a little bit. Um, so that's where uh, I still have you Darvish, uh, obviously from that pick, uh, as pretty high. We took him ahead of Luis Castillo even. Um, but, uh, I was happy to to get him. I think that that when you see that home run rate going up and down for you, Darvish, it's because of his command. But I could see him just having a good command season next year, and the stuff was still pretty decent. Uh, so that's I'm just betting on a command bounce back with you, Darvish, basically. But uh, he also stands. It's pretty funny in that uh, up and down cycle. He he sits like just a few up from Andrew Haney, and I did a little bit of a different uh, query. Uh, when we were kind of preparing for the show where I just looked at strikeout minus walks and then I wanted to look at the high home run rates associated with that and just basically saying who could you bet on for strikeouts minus walks that maybe will regress their home run rate um, you know, next season. The names that popped for me off this list were number one was Eduardo Rodriguez who was 22nd in strikeouts minus walks among uh, you know starting pitchers and had a 139 home run per nine. Um, I think that'll regress. Uh, 
uh, especially with a new park that he's pitching in. Um, another name that uh, that popped was Shane McClanahan with a 127. I don't know that he needs to have a, that high of a home run rate, especially calling Tampa Bay Ray, Tampa Bay home. Andrew Haney, mm-hmm. <laughs> who uh, we will forever bet that the home run rate is coming down and someday we'll be right. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, Blake Snell, who I think, you know, there was a little bit of an up and down in his pitch mix, and I think he found a better pitch mix near the end of the season. Um, and uh, the last one I wanted to mention was Zach Gallen in the top 50 for K-BB and also owning a 1.3 homer per nine. So uh, I like Zach Gallen for, for positive regression. Yeah, there. Gallen, I've got him at 33 right now on my starting pitcher ranks and puts him right around Stroman, Snell, who you mentioned, uh, puts him a little behind, actually puts him behind Shane Boz, which is, talk about your tough ranks. We'll obviously have a tough ranks episode at some point between now and, and March. Like, what, what do you do with a guy that shows that? Do I that? take the young veteran with some upside or the... The guy who's all upside, who hasn't maybe hit his bad yeah, patch yet. Yeah. Before publication, I could see Boz sinking a couple of spots because it's 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 one thing to make the list; it's another thing to follow through on it when you're when you're on the clock and so okay. <laughs> it's another thing to take Alec Manoa over. Yeah, here, here we are, Shane Boz, my SP two this season. Like I don't know, I don't I don't know if I want to go quite that far. I feel a lot better if he's a three or a four. I feel so much better if I could get one of those guys as a three. Yeah. Yeah, three is more realistic. Maybe in a 12-teamer, you could make him a four if you're pretty aggressive with pitching. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that McClanahan had some some home run issues. I don't think that's really going to be a part of who he is. The other pitcher that I had up near Darvish, Darvish versus Charlie Morton ended up being the, the toss-up in the rankings. I think Morton is just consistently underrated. Their ADPs are almost identical. They're both going in that, that 85 to 90 range based on ADP, but... Morton should be healthy for the start of spring training, and yeah, it's just it's age. That's the only thing. That's the only thing about Charlie Morton that people I think could really could really quabble with because he gets plenty of swings and misses. His stuff number's good. His location is good. He's not walking guys. He doesn't have a home run issue. I doesn't allow yeah. an overwhelming amount of contact in the zone more than the guys ranked ahead of him for the most part. That's one of the areas where you know I use that conditional formatting when I'm looking at skills and kind of compare guys across the list. That's the one area where he's not quite like the other guys that I have in my top 20. What 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 in what way? Zone contact know? rate. Now he, he gets hit in the zone a little more than the other top 20 pitchers, but it's not, you know, it's not an alarming you know problem. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, one thing that I like is that at his advanced age, ninety-five-five mm-hmm. still, you know, and that arrested a decline that was I was worried was related to his shoulder issues, right? So uh, pretty nice to see that velo number there. Absolutely, uh, I'm 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 in on him. You know, I even bought him in my auto new league. We're doing a mock, and I bought him for like nineteen bucks. Uh, you know, and I'm fully knowing. Let me get the number exactly right. Um, I paid twenty bucks for Charlie Morton as my number two behind Garrett Cole, and uh, fully knowing that you know I may not, I may only get two years of value out of that. I traded but, for him in a keeper league before the keeper deadline because I felt like for a draft pick upgrade, it was it was a relatively small cost. I didn't have I didn't have convincing yeah. keepers to up to the limit. So I said, you know what, I might be able to get. 
an SP1 or a fringy SP1 in disguise in this 15-team league for a relatively small amount. I'm not that worried about long-term value if I'm trying to just either get someone I can trade later or trying to compete now. He's a great, great player. I think in keeper and dynasty leagues, especially it's never going to cost you as much as it should to trade for him. If he comes through and does what he's projected to do and sustains what he's been able to do over these last two seasons. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Then also just personally, he's just such an excellent person. It's, I love how thoughtful he is. Do you have a, a specific Charlie Morton antidote to share? Anecdote? I want to say the Astros just won it all. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe it could have been an ALCS. Uh, my 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 memory is not great. Uh, but uh, I I know for a fact that they're all celebrating. Everyone's smoking cigars, and you know there's alcohol everywhere. Pretty sure they won it all. This is uh, you know after uh, after they won it against the Dodgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. They won it all. Everyone is celebrating, smiling, just uh, running around the room, being a ridiculous person, uh, you know, doing all sorts of selfies, you know, just just over the moon. And Charlie Morton is crying, <laughs> and he's just like in the corner crying. Uh, and I had been asking him about, I don't even know what, but it ended up being about his teammates. And he was just, he was just so proud of them and the feeling of camaraderie. And he was talking about the emotions of, of sharing this moment with all of them. And he was just crying. And, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was like, that's, that's Charlie Martin. baby. <laughs> You know, still, you know, just to take the reason he started to cry was because of some question. He was trying to answer the question correctly and and be honest and 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 tell exactly how he felt. And at that moment, it meant that he was going to be crying instead of running around, you know, with a cigar in his mouth. From a, a just a baseball perspective, too, his his career has been a lot of peaks and valleys. Like it, it took a lot for him to get to the point that he's reached in the back half of his career, just in terms of the injuries he's had to come back from. So I could, I could totally understand that just being very emotional uh, in a situation like that. I think, you know, one thing though, is that with pitchers like hard contact, even barrels allowed, ex Woba allowed, uh, home run rate and stuff, you know, a, a fair amount of what we're looking at right now is just noise and regression and just saying these these pitchers are good otherwise and their home run rate was high and, you know, we can expect a regression because of the just the statistical facts of the ball, of, of, of how the ball flies off a pitcher. That's not so much... Um, the new the the difference in the two balls, right? Like I think it would uh, you like I'm not saying necessarily you Darvish was throwing to harder, you know he had the the hard ball, right? No, no, <laughs> you know? no. like, but you know with hitters, uh, uh, it is interesting because there's a usually a really tight relationship between your barrels and your home run rate. Uh, I think I just saw the. Um, the relationship of barrels to home run rate, uh, the the R, the, I don't know if it was the R squared or the or the just the R, the correlation, but it was tight. It was like 0.75 or something. Even if that was just R, that's pre- that's pretty good. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see, 
this. A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, but, uh, so one thing I had a little aha moment was that you could treat ISO, isolated slugging percentage, as a percentage. Um, you know, when we look at it on the leaderboards, it's usually point. 205 or something right not listed as percentage but what the what iso is another way of saying iso is your uh your your extra base hit rate that's what it is because what you take is you take you take basically slugging and you subtract ad- average out of it so it's just it's basically your rate of x-rays hits so if you start looking at iso as a rate of x-rays hits and then you look at barrel rate now you have two things to to subtract from each other that are on the same scale and uh, when you have a large difference between them, uh, it means it probably you overdid your barrels a little bit. And if you have a small difference between them, it means that you didn't get as much out of your barrels as other people. Um, but quickly, when I did the, uh, the query, I realized that you have to do a little bit more work on top of that because uh, the number one, uh, the, the, the person with the smallest difference between his uh, ISO percentage and his barrel percentage was Jake Bowers, uh, who had a 5% barrel rate and had an ISO of 0.067. The problem is that 5% barrel rate is also not good. So even if he plays to his barrel rate next year and has like a 0.100 ISO, like, so what? Bench player, you know. <laughs> still, still, still a problem for him. Still needs to hit the ball harder. So uh, instead, what I did was, okay, who is near the bottom in the difference between ISO and barrel rate? Um, and also has a good barrel rate, mm-hmm. right? So the, the interesting names are Bradley Zimmer, who has the third smallest difference and had a 9.4% barrel rate. Um, and then Trevor Larnack, uh, pops in this, but then if you, you set the cutoff at 10%, the names really pop for me, which are Nico Goodrum, Bobby Dalbeck, Andrew Vaughn, Tommy Pham, and Josh Donaldson. Um, with a little bit of Rowdy Telez, gotta get my gotta get a mention in for Rowdy Telez and Matt Chapman there at the end. 
I mean, for the most part, uh, uh, I think I like all those guys to have better power going forward. Yeah, so that group, it's got a, a, a good mix of players because you've got the younger guys, you've got the former prospect in Zimmer who's just really struggled to stay healthy, you've got a couple of older guys uh, where Donaldson and Fam, you look at those two guys, and they both Donaldson and Fam, they pop into my head when when you bring up that there's a a greater likelihood of a, a projection failing you with an older player, right? Like when you when you go down that road, they're the kinds of guys I think of, mostly because of health, because of Donaldson, right? I mean that's a big part of it. Like the mm-hmm. projections come out really good. People know, yeah, well, I mean, Donaldson's way past 30. Fam, I think, is a little bit younger than that. Uh, so you, you look at mm-hmm. Fam and you say, is he going to run as much as he's always run? You know, is, is he, mm-hmm. where is he going to go? Where is he going to end up playing? Donaldson, how many games are you going to get? Like those questions pop up. But I like that you have, you have this thing where you've caught some young players. Andrew Vaughn, I think, had, had a good rookie year. I, I, I think it's, it's so important to remember the context for a guy that was, coming through the minors the way he did, right? A college bat who didn't get a 2020, who made the leap essentially from high A at the end of 2019 to the big leagues, learned a new position, and didn't fall on his face. A 94 WRC plus, yeah, okay, that's not a a great season compared to just guys that have been in the big leagues for a while, but for a first-time big leaguer in those circumstances... Sort of thrust into baseball maybe a little bit earlier than... Kind of happy with it. Yeah, like if have, if, yeah. if the Triple A season had started on time, they might have sent Vaughn down to Triple A to begin the year and let him spend the first few weeks or the first month there. And he really could have benefited from a 2020 minor league. Season. But I think he 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 held his own, and the underlying yeah. numbers are good, right? The K rate for 21.5 percent K rate for a guy making a yeah. three level leap. And that's that's huge. That's the that's the big separator, I think, between these names. If you're wondering, well, you know, some of these you know, Bobby Dobak already had power. How can he have more or whatever? Um, the, if you then say, I'm more interested in guys who don't strike out 30% of the time, then you remove Goodrum and Dahlbeck from this list and Vaughn becomes, uh, you know, one of five basically, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and the youngest, (laughs) so, uh, you know, I would bet just statistically, I'd bet on these, you're right to bring up the age on Donaldson. That's a big question mark, but. Uh, he's also falling in drafts and someone that I find uh, really intriguing and, and more interesting almost as his price falls. I want to get uh, where, because we had a debate. I was, I'm was i co-managing this, and we had a debate, and we didn't get him. Uh, he went in the 17th round at 255 in this draft and hold, and um, I was a little disappointed he didn't go to us. I think he went like right before us or... We were we were thinking about something else for some reason and didn't take him. What, what do we take? What is our name in this? I, I'm kind of enjoying this this uh, this sleuthing process. <laughs> what is who who are we? He must have changed our name. Oh man, I can't find us. Who did we take? Donaldson never. Never goes too early at this point in his career. Never. Like I've I've not been in a draft in years where Josh Donaldson was drafted, and I said, "Well, that was too early." Like I, I just, I, I think people have have. Ah, uh, we didn't have a catcher, and so we took Mitch Garver because we didn't have a single catcher. I think the only the only category with Donaldson that you know is just pretty much 
mediocre or possibly bad is batting average. Like you're you're not getting a great average from him at this point. Even though the K rate's not bad, I think in leagues where you use OBP, you get a bump because he's always drawn walks and he's still, you know, thirteen plus percent. I think thirteen percent was his lowest walk rate since twenty fifteen. What's pretty amazing. And I think the other thing that works in Donaldson's favor is that even though you have that added injury risk because of the recurring calf issues and other ailments that kind of pile up on a guy who's now, yeah, he's going to be 36 in a couple of days. When he's healthy, he rarely gets days off. He's still closer to a max volume plate appearance sort of guy for the time that he's available. And basically it's just a longer way of saying he's never going to be a platoon guy. Like, I don't think that's the case at all. Like when healthy, if they've got seven games in a week, he's starting at least six of them and maybe all seven if he's had a day off somewhat recently. So uh, I, I like him. Yeah, he's more of a load management guy. He's like uh, he's like LeBron at this point, where he's just like, he's going to be good when he's in. I like him a little better in week in daily lineups, but I'll still take him in weekly because I think he'll be useful. Really interestingly, he went uh, in, a, in a round that included Bobby Dalbeck um, and also uh, a name that's sort of on my, on my query – uh, doesn't quite uh, make the barrel rate. Uh, I think because he had a 9.5% barrel rate, but Nate Lowe, uh, 25% strikeout rate, nearly a 10% barrel rate, uh, and a poor a poor ISO given that um, given that uh, barrel rate. So uh, Nate Lowe is def, and he went in that same round. Nate Lowe is something somebody that's uh, showing up in my on my teams. So Matt Chapman was on that list too. He goes a bit earlier. He goes in the yeah, he's right there by Nate yeah, Lowe. Yeah, Chapman, we don't know where he's going to play next season because it seems like there's a good chance he gets traded. But if if they're going to trade only one of Olsen and Chapman, it seems like it makes more sense to trade Olsen given that Chapman could still be an elite defender and possibly bounce back and bring you more in a trade later on. Fringy for the top 200 in terms of ADP. I'm in on that all day because I think even though we're talking about a guy that I did have the, it was a hip surgery, I think is what it was, going out of 2020. Yeah. He will play every single day possible. Like, it's kind of like the Arenado playing time. Uh, like Donaldson, there is legitimate batting average concern, probably worse, much worse because of the K rate. Getting beat on high fastballs pretty badly. But I, I feel like there's got to be an adjustment he can make. Though. 18 and 19, like, even if the 36 homers because of the rabbit ball is is something he can't do again. High 20s seems very attainable, and it's with good counting stats, and I think we've seen we've seen the floor with his batting average. I think the K rate's going to go back closer to what we saw pre-2020 from Matt Chapman, and there's a very good chance that with a trade, if he does get traded, he's ending up in a better lineup and in a better park, too. So that could also give him a pretty nice boost. A's 25th by home run park factor on baseball. Yeah. Savant. So... Uh, unless he goes to, I guess that there's a risk he could go to the Cardinals or Giants, but he's not. He won't go to the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, he won't go to the Cardinals. Yeah, uh, and I kind of doubt he'll go to the. If Giants. If he went to the Giants, though, but, I would have a lot more confidence in his high fastball issue being fixed, given the successes they've had. Yeah, and also uh, the lineup uh, they 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 managed to score a bunch of runs, so he'll at least have people on base, and you know. But there's also uh, 24 other teams where he would have in a better park for his home run. Yeah, runner. Rowdy being on this list is interesting only because I don't know if the Brewers are going to make some kind of trade and end up with a first baseman that way or if they'll you know, get a bargain free agent. 
it was a little disappointing to see his defense. It is a concern. I remember very clearly a couple moments in the series against the Braves where I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's that's your range. <laughs> like, like he, there was a ball that was like maybe three or four feet away from him and he like fell down trying to get it. And he like he, he just, you know, his range is his body to the left and the right. Yeah. Like uh, those old, I don't know if anyone's ever played with like, there was this um, this soccer, this table soccer game that my grandparents had when I was a kid. And the goalie had a button to dive left and a button to dive right. And he was on like a little metal wire. So if you want to try and make a save, you could fall over to the left or you could fall over to the right. Yeah, he wasn't going to jump off of his right. moorings. Like, <laughs> He's just going to fall so down to the left. If the shot was in a corner, he wasn't quite tall enough with his arms outstretched to stop it. So if a, a well-placed shot happened he couldn't get there and that's but he could fall down but he could fall right. left that's and right rowdy Tillis, baby. <laughs> I, should, I, gotta, I gotta find a picture for a visual uh fun game kind of wish I, I still had something like that the last name from that list i mean larnack's interesting dahlbeck's interesting for their for their own reasons i think we've talked about at least dahlbeck in the not so distant past but bradley zimmer bradley zimmer is mm. is basically free his team is super cheap because they're not going to spend any more than they have to. They did go bargain shopping. They had Eddie Rosario last year. That didn't work out. But I just think it's it's at this point a 35% K rate for a guy that's now 29 years old. I'm worried that he's just not going to fix that enough. Even though there are there are tools. 15 steals too. 15 for 18. I remember Ian Kahn uh, a few times on the Under the Radar show throughout the year was saying, yeah, I'm interested. He's playing. He's running a bit. He's still got some power. And I think it was more for deeper leagues. I want to say it was more for like AL Labor and maybe 15 teamers on and off the roster sort of guy, depending on the schedule. Uh Have we seen enough of Zimmer to say this is who he is when we're talking about a guy who's this old? Or can we look at it and say, actually, he doesn't even have a thousand big league plate appearances yet because of all the injuries. So... Why Why would we assume this is who he is if, if that's how we want to grade players' skills over time? Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. The one thing I would say is that the fairly constant, the thing that's been there his whole career and that is believable in small samples um, anyway is the strikeout rate. So I think even if he's good, he's going to strike out a lot. But he could have a good season where you know he walks ten percent of the time, strikes out thirty three, thirty five percent of the time, has like a two fifty ISO. I mean, his barrel rate suggests that he could have a higher ISO. Um, you know, his barrel rate last year was nine point four percent. That's that's good. Ten percent is good. So if he had like a a two hundred ISO even, um, you know, then he would uh, probably be an above average bat given the patience. Um, and then his defense is going to make him good. I think I don't think that uh, Straw. I don't think he's going to take Straw's job. Uh, so the the good news for him is that the Guardians don't have any other outfielders either. So <laughs> I mean, uh, they've got Josh Naylor coming back from huge injury, uh, and then I think the uh, for the th- two other spots other than Straw, what you're seeing is a battle between. Brad Zimmer, the ascendant Nolan Jones, the recovering Josh Naylor, uh, Stephen Kwan, who uh, I think we've talked about on the show before, but uh, is really good uh, in terms of uh, doesn't strike out and walks a lot. We'll have to see what his batted ball rates look like. 
um, and then the sort of recovering Oscar Mercado. So Zimmer could absolutely beat out any one of those. I also, when I look at the Guardians depth chart, I want them to just play Josh Naylor at first base. Josh Naylor's a first baseman. Play him at first. Just let that happen. I mean, it's awful to me that they were playing Yu Chang there. I mean, just awful. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Jake Bowers was also awful for them. And then Bobby Bradley is more of a DH type, I think. And, uh, I mean, he's he projects uh, as a worse bat uh, than Naylor. So I, I think I agree with you. I would put them, I would put Bradley and uh, Naylor uh, in a competition. For yeah, that and I would, would expect Naylor to ultimately win that. I know I'm, I'm getting a little too excited about a guy that's got a career 87 WRC plus, but he doesn't strike out. <laughs> does show flashes of power. It put him in his natural position. Bradley, Bradley reminds me of the old um, Chris Carter types. Almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're striking out 36 percent of the time, you don't have defensive value, and you don't really have a great walk rate. Then you're 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 closing in on Chris Carter. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing any more than that coming from Bobby Bradley. So I, I do think if you're trying to figure out where outfield playing time goes, you could reasonably say Josh Naylor is going to play first base this year, and he's not part of that outfield rotation. And Nolan Jones has to come up and start his clock, which they may not want to do because he's striking out a lot anyway in the minor leagues. So the opening day outfield might be Zimmer, Straw, Mercado, just for sort of playing time, like uh, service time type reasons. You yeah, know? and I could see Mercado ending up being more the fourth outfielder and small side platooning with Zimmer and then serving as like a backup center fielder if Straw's unavailable and then they go... Some old veteran, some cheap old veteran. I would have said a Cole Calhoun type, but Texas got him already. So some guy like that. Yeah, they could add a cheap cheap veteran to that and make it a, a foursome. Um, then the next round of uh, cuts and drops will be uh, Zimmer and Mercado, right? Like they, I think sometime this next season, if Zimmer and Mercado aren't any better, their roles will be cemented as something other than a starter. Yeah. No, I think that's... Uh, Am I being too pessimistic about Mercado? Did he have a bit of a bounce back uh, last year? I mean... A slight bounce back. His his twenty twenty. Oh, he was still fifteen percent worse than league average. His twenty twenty was just awful. The K rate came back down. He walked more than he walked upon arrival. I mean, That's right? But the power is not really there. No, I mean it. It does look like a a twelve to fifteen homer, fifteen steal guy that doesn't get on base a ton. So. It, Enough to to to, to keep, or at job, least not honestly. enough to be a leadoff guy, right? If he's if he's getting if he's like a three thirty yeah. OBP guy, is that going to be enough for them to lead him off, or is he going to be a six seven hitter? I think it it's probably the latter. Uh, and man, he's a little older than I thought too. He's already going to be twenty seven. Yeah, in just a couple of weeks. So yeah, uh, I think I think it's a, basically pooper. We got off the potty time for uh, Zimmer and Mercado right, this year too. They'll start moving other guys in. Two behind. references to the bathroom. Let's get uh, one. Let's <laughs> not do a counter. My life, the bathroom figures high in it. I've got two little boys. They 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 can't uh, they can't hit the target. <laughs> Let's get to a couple of uh, possibly overlooked Padres moves. We didn't talk about these in all the transactions that happened last week. Uh, let's start with the. The addition of Nick Martinez. He goes to the Padres 
former Ranger. Yeah. No way. To the Padres? That a never Ranger? happens. Uh, I think the deal is four years and $20 million, but if I remember correctly, there's an opt-out after the first year. So if he's really good, then, you know, onward and upward. Huh. Uh, anyway. God, they couldn't just get him. Like, they gave him $20 million. They couldn't just get him. He's got op- actually opt out after 2022 and 2023. Uh, okay, so. Guy has a career 477 ERA in, in America. <laughs> He's 31. Then they, they gave him an opt out. But anyway, as, <laughs> I like, I, I'm sorry. I, I was being more negative. I like him a little. So. Yeah, how do you think he fits in in terms of role? How, how likely is it that he is beginning the year as a starter? And where do you start to go in terms of your expectations? value-wise for him um so i i will have to uh give sung mun kim a uh a shout out here sung min kim here um he had a thread on him that i'm going to rely on mostly for my uh, analysis on here because uh nick martinez was in japan um and so apparently he pushed his fastball velocity up to uh 93 okay last year so he was 90 poo when he left but 93 is above average velo or at least average velo and then he also added a vulcan change that has become his out pitch mm. joining the john so, gant club uh-huh and i always think of kyle loesch um <laughs> these are not the best comps you've ever heard in the world no, um no. No, but I think uh, I think he can at least be a fifth starter, uh, and if that uh, Vulcan change actually has uh, some good swinging strike ability to it, and he's ninety three, um, you know, he could be an interesting. Like, I'm not. I I I don't think I can put him in the top one hundred based on this information, but um, in that one hundred to one twenty range where you're taking shots, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's... I mean, what does the Padres depth chart look like right now? He's probably got a inside track to the fifth starter spot initially, but then anytime someone looks good or is ready, he could be the first guy to accommodate them. I mean, Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, obviously safely in. The variable, I think, in the beginning of the year is, too, is when? Clevenger, if he's 100% good to go, which I think when is he, ready? he could yeah. be. And then Chris Paddock, I'd... Started this early draft season excited about Paddock, and then he got the elbow injection. Uh, he's got a slight yeah, UCL tear. He's, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I, I never feel good about that injection being the be all end all. And Paddock yeah. has work to do anyway. And I think that's that's part of the problem. Even if the injection works and keeps him healthy, it's keeping him from getting a third pitch that he's comfortable with this off season. Then he still has the same flaw right, that like he's how had. Much, yeah, how much pitch design time does he have this off? So that's so that's part of the issue. So I'm I'm pretty pessimistic on on Paddock right now. After really thinking I was going to have a lot of Paddock, I've even got him on a couple of teams, but I probably won't get him much more. At least until the late part of draft season, once we get some kind get of more information, some kind of look at him in spring, and and maybe if things are going well. All that's to say, Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, Clevenger's probably good to go, and then. What do they do with Denelson Lamette? I mean, we went through this last draft season too. I, I, I don't know if you can rely on him as anything more than a part-time starter. Put him, the, put him in the pen, yeah. I think they'll put him in the pen. I think they have a need in the pen, first of all, and then second of all, um, 
he just seemed injured. His stuff number was way down, and uh, he didn't like out of the mound. He didn't really inspire much confidence. So uh, you know, without him, they still have the five. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they try to keep him a little bit stretched out, and he's middle relief, or they, they try to keep him doing two or three innings because. Uh, the depth behind Nick Martinez, if Paddock is actually hurt, uh, Weathers and Gore are the next ones, and then you're waiting on Morahan to come back. So it actually gets pretty dicey back there. Like you may need Lamette as your six or seven starter because Weathers needs to kind of do an overhaul on his pitch mix to to get back. He needs to go to a sinker based a- a- approach and probably change his slider. Gore is maybe in the middle of that uh, overhaul, and maybe he's more ready than he has been in the past. So maybe Gore can be your six, uh, but then your your then Lamette needs to be your seven uh, at least until Morahan or Paddock show better better uh, health, you know. So if there's a way that they can kind of um, not make the decision on Lamette as long as possible, I think that's what they'll do. Let's talk about the reliever addition the Padres made. Luis Garcia, who most recently pitched for the Cardinals in 2021 and pitched well. He had a couple of saves even late in the year. 324 ERA, .99 whip, 34 Ks in 33 and a third innings. He got a two-year, $7 million deal, and the Padres are on that pretty long list of teams where you'd say, who's the closer, or at least who's the main closer if they want to go the committee route? It's, to me, just as likely to be Garcia as it is to be anybody else. I mean, I think the the few things that I, I take into consideration when trying to project or guess at these things is past experience as a closer, which I think matters less and less to teams now, year over year, than it ever has. Uh, money. How much money are they paying someone? And, and then maybe stuff, like in terms of you know lefty-righty splits. But even still you might have a team that says, yeah, that's our best reliever. So he's coming in the seventh year. He's coming in the eighth year. And today he's getting a save. I don't know if the Padres are going down that path. The Mariners we talked about last week, they seem to be going down that path. So are you looking at any of the current relievers, either Garcia, Pomeranz, Pagan, anybody else they've got and saying, yeah, I actually think that guy is going to get most of the saves in San Diego. I think it's Luis Garcia. Um, you know, Drew Pomerantz is coming back from a surgery, and we just don't, I don't think that we have necessarily more information. Uh, he had the surgery on August 14th, um, and, uh, you know, there's different ideas about how long, uh, you know, he sh- maybe he should be ready to begin the season. Uh, but even then, he is a left hander, which teams go to him we go to left-handers a little bit less often than you expect uh, as in the closer role and then on top of that i think at this point it is fair to say that the team has chosen other options over pomerantz a couple times now uh signing melanson uh to to close over him so i think this i i look back at that melanson signing and say let's they signed a guy they had uh, Pomerantz in the fold, and they signed a guy, and that guy closed. So there is not really like a, 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 a like a this guy has experience in that pen. There's not like we were talking about this. There's not a lot of uh, saves uh, on the on the back of the baseball cards in this pen. But Luis Garcia changed from throwing a four seam that he couldn't command to ch- throwing that sinker more often in St. Louis, and I think that was perfect. I think that that brought it all together, um, and that made him a closer level arm, honestly. So I I. It's all Luis Garcia for me. Yeah, basically was free in draft and holds. Probably still not going to jump up a ton without some sort of official announcement. So I think there is an opportunity there. And worst case, 
for draft and hole, we're going to do a separate episode at some point. Just talking about strategy, roster construction. You can live with a few short relievers who aren't closers because you're going to have weeks where you don't have enough starters available anyway, and you just want somebody out there mm-hmm. who's going to help with the ratios, maybe steal a win. San Diego should be good. He should be effective regardless of role. So I do think Luis Garcia is pretty easily draftable in San Diego, even without any sort of confirmation of role. Yeah, if there's some news in spring where like Pomerantz is healthy and stuff and, and Luis Garcia's stock starts going down, I think he becomes even more. So I think he'll be uh, really affordable now. And then over the course of the offseason, people will be like, ooh, Luis Garcia, like him, like him, like him. He'll go up, he'll go up. Pomerantz news go back down, hopefully. And there would be another buying cycle for Luis Garcia. But I'm not like, I'm not going to put him, you know, I think he's still in that back 10 of relievers, even if you kind of give him. Yeah. Like, would you put him in your top 20? No, no, no. The earliest, the earliest you could draft him or where you could like kind of put him at the high end, you could put him in the Lucas Sims, Dylan Floro sort of range where it's like, are they Pretty the guys? Sure the closer. Yeah, like probably the guy, and then maybe you put him ahead of those two guys because like the skills more. But I like him better than those two guys. Yeah. That's about where the line is. That puts him back in the top twenty-five and price right now outside the top five hundred. Going to jump up. Obviously, going to shoot up probably a hundred, hundred fifty picks. You can't get him like we got him in our draft and hold. Oh, you already have him. Unbelievable. Yeah, I got him in my draft and hold. Uh, three set. No, that's the other one. Nope. Nope. 738, baby. <laughs> 738. Uh, there was a... He was our last pick. There was a 744 in there, too. Someone else got him a little later than you did, even. We had him the last pick, baby. Well, hey, that could be a great last pick, which is why draft and hold is so fun, right? You take someone in round 50, and they end up having a, a significant role for you because you, you did it early. Something to pass the time, of course, during the uh, the great lockout of 2021 and 2022. We're all going to be looking for something to do. Like I said before, it's, <laughs> it's restraint for me. It's like 50, 150 there. It starts to add up, so you just have to not go overboard. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be careful because I think I want to do a main this year. So. Uh, are you doing a live one or are you doing one from home? Uh, my first one, I don't know. I'm going to do a comforts home. of home are, are sneakily underrated. I mean, not that like hanging out with a bunch of people that love like, fantasy baseball is always fun, as we know from first pitch and everything. And uh, it's also just useful to have. Like, I noticed this at AL Labor, I wish I at AL Labor I had like three screens. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think you want one screen that has like the, the draft up and what the other people in the draft are doing. You want one screen that has your numbers up, and you have one screen for like last minute you know searches or depth charts just have like a depth chart screen up you this know? is why i use draft software this is literally like the rotowire draft software does all those things that was not a planned I commercial know. they didn't pay for that i, I worked there for I a long like it i don't use it's it. as much as you I can have in, on one software. screen like if you can't bring three screens you need stuff that's quick within one mm-hmm. and you can be offline too which i think was a bigger issue 10 years ago, I think everywhere you go now, you could pretty much get on some kind of network. But mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what I do just because, yeah, I, I want to have information ready just in case I need to check something out. And uh, highly recommend you check that out if uh, you want to be more organized with your drafts and auctions this year. But 
If you'd like to read what we have at The Athletic, 33% off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Thanks to the many of you who signed up during the Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.